What's up, everybody? Welcome to On West Gray, the monthly podcast about all things local government in the city of Norman. I'm your host, Tiffany Verska, Chief Communications Officer for the city of Norman. Thank you all for being with us. Today, we're visited by City Attorney Catherine Walker, who leads the legal department at the City of Norman and works awfully hard trying to keep us all out of trouble. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. So we have you with us today to talk a little bit about the special election that's on the horizon. On August 23rd, voters in Norman will take to the polls to consider nine charter amendment propositions that you and your team have carefully crafted following the citizen-led process of going to a vote for something like this. So we're about to dive right into that. And, And let's start with what exactly is a charter? A charter is basically a city's constitution. So just like when you amend the state constitution or the United States constitution, it requires a vote of the people. All right. So if cities don't have a charter, I know a lot of them in Oklahoma do, but if they don't, what do they go by? There are provisions in Title 11 that apply to uh, non-charter cities, towns, and uh, that that is the law that they have to follow. Okay. So going by a lot of like state law Mm -hmm. instead of just local. Okay. So in 2019, the Norman City Council appointed a charter review commission. And um, tell us a little bit about that. What were the responsibilities of this commission and who made it up? Uh, The commission was made up of a representative from each ward. Um, They were appointed in 2019, as you said, to consider very specific charter propositions. They were not asked to review the charter as a whole. They were given specific ideas to look at. And so that's what they did. Generally, they met monthly, but of course, like everything else, COVID kind of interfered with that. This was a group that felt like they got much better discussion with in-person meetings. So we had a little break uh, and then came back in person and were able to finish it up. Okay, and I, I know that um, we'll talk a little bit about the in-depth video that you have done that's online at normanok.gov, and it really dives into all of the details of all of the propositions that will be on the ballot in August. Um, and one of those first slides kind of goes over the timeline uh, for this process. Um, so I understand in 2019, the commission was appointed. Uh, and then I'm understanding that in 2021, council voted to have, um, in August 2021, council voted to have the recommendations go to a vote of the people. But the discussion and the work continued for a bit longer. The ordinance language was officially approved in May of this year, and the election was set. So that in-between, was that kind of what you were um, discussing as far as just kind of finessing the language? or what did that look like? When council met in August to consider the Charter Review Committee's recommendation, the Charter Commission had essentially finished its work. So they had made recommendations on each proposal, and there were some proposals council supported, some they wanted to continue to study. So the study from August to to, uh, May really was at a council level. And so we were finalizing language based on council feedback for a few of those propositions. We had, I think, four topics left after that August meeting to continue discussing. And then uh, we added an additional topic sort of as a cleanup item after going through the reapportionment process. And we can talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, council finally um, finalized, I think, sort of their position on these proposals Uh, in January. We set to draft the final language, and then they met again uh, uh, to discuss it one more time, did some tweaking, and then came back in May and voted on the ordinance. Uh, It was voted on in May because you have to vote on it 60 days before 
the election. Uh, you, yeah, you mentioned the reapportionment, um, and it's it was an exciting time um, in government right. <laughs> lately because you're going through that as well as the, right. the proposed charter changes. Another thing COVID impacted, <laughs> certainly. Um, and I know that you had also, when you spoke to council and um, different residents about um, what we're going to be voting on in August, you talk a little bit about the charter language and there are certain rules, stipulations, guidelines that you have to craft the charter language after. So what are those like limitations and requirements? It's really all about the ballot language. I know people hate to read these type of questions. It's very challenging. It's full of legal ease, but we are limited by word count. And some of these provisions are quite complicated. So to summarize them within 250 words or 200 words, rather, can be really challenging. Uh, so that's why we do the, the podcast. That's why we've done a more in-depth presentation to help people really understand those propositions. So you're not just going in and reading that 200-word summary uh, and not really understanding the full depth of it. Right. And there's also an attempt to try to write that at an eighth grade reading level. Right. Is we that try right? to write it at an eighth grade reading level, uh, which, again, is challenging when you're talking about things that people may not, not be familiar with. Uh, so it is really a challenge, and education is a big piece of, of the process. Absolutely. Um, so you talked about the timing for the election when they voted on it, um, 60 days out at least. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the the work. I know that your office had been integral in working with citizens and with the council to get all of these uh, propositions finalized and on a ballot. So what has that process been like um, for you all working with all of these dedicated individuals, if you will? I would have to say this has been one of the best committees I've worked with because it, it was a good mix of viewpoints. Um, some former council members, so they really understood the the ideas being proposed um, in a different way. And then others, uh, citizens who had been involved in local government or, or knew what we were about. Um, and they were able to really come at these issues from multiple viewpoints, and, and they were willing to do the work to hammer out some recommendation that they felt was the best solution. It wasn't unanimous every time, but what is in our community? Right. So it was sort of the perfect, <laughs> the, the perfect uh, group, I think, to kind of work through these issues. Well, that's great to know. Uh, they seem very committed from all of the public meetings that yes. I had seen. So. Yes, they were. So let's get into the actual proposition. So nine questions, um, as you said, might require a bit of homework for voters, lots of education. Um, we did do the nitty gritty online. We have, I think it's 31 minutes and 16 seconds, a video on um, the city's Vimeo page um, that folks can do some some in-depth research on what each of those questions look like and what they mean. If folks go to normanok.gov and search August special election, they should be able to review the exact ballot language, ordinance language, and then see that in-depth presentation by Ms. Walker. Um, in a nutshell, though, uh, we can give an overview to what the voters will be deciding on through each of these propositions. Um, but that additional research and review on the special election is definitely encouraged. So Proposition 1 pertains to increasing annual stipends for municipal officials. Why was this considered? I think there's been a general recognition over the years that for the amount of work that council members have to put in to, to do the job right, they're really um, underpaid. They currently make $50 a month plus 
$10 for each meeting they attend, but it cannot exceed $100 a month. Um, so that, you know, can be a barrier to participation because of the number of hours that they have to spend uh, doing this, this job function. Um, and so the commission discussed uh, a modest stipend increase. They, they looked at um, what other cities do and every question that they considered uh, to try and get an idea of, of what was um, typical or what was seen across the state. And so with this proposal, they're proposing the mayor's stipend would increase from $100 a month or $1,200 annually to $8,100 annually. And council member stipends would increase to $5,400 annually. Um, additional reviews could be considered later based on uh, input from a five-member compensation commission. And we want to make sure, and we were very careful with the language here, that we aren't we weren't asking the council members to vote on a raise for themselves. So, right. so all of these provisions that impact the council members will go into effect at the conclusion of their term. Um, so you'll see that language uh, throughout the various ballot questions. So they are not voting to give themselves a raise, right? right? That's right. what we're trying That's to communicate very important. there. Right. <laughs> um, and I think it is worth noting, too, the city manager spoke to, to a group the other night about the upcoming election. And we have council meetings, regularly scheduled council meetings, um, you know, usually twice a month, the second and fourth Tuesday of the month. Um, but in the in between, there are committee meetings and there's study sessions and there's all kinds of, um, I mean, when you talk about the work that council members do put in at the city of Norman, it is way more than two meetings a month. Yes. If you saw the agenda book just for those two meetings a month, you know, I think the city manager refers to it as a phone book because of its size. <laughs> Uh, just that alone is a lot of work, but yes, all the committee meetings, study sessions, council conferences, meetings with constituents, ward meetings, all of that adds up and it takes a lot of time. Right. So let's uh, jump into Proposition 2. So this one can, uh, pertains to extending council member terms, changing the starting date of the term of office for elected officials, and changing residency requirements for those seeking City of Norman offices with a couple exceptions. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about this one? Yes, this uh, this start date piece uh, really goes back to a previous charter provision. Uh, we used to require that you take office fairly quickly after being elected, uh, but it put council members uh, coming into office in the middle of the budget process. And so several a number of years ago, we switched that to beginning your term the first Tuesday of July. Well, now with changes in state election laws, we know our elections generally are going to be in February. And if you don't have a runoff, that is a really long lead time before you take office. And it, it leads to confusion among the constituents. Um, and it also puts the council member in a position where they're taking office with a budget that they had no role in making. Yeah. And so this was suggested for the commission to consider, and they, they agreed to... Um, recommend that the terms would begin with this change the Tuesday following certification of the runoff election results. So at the latest, uh, that's going to be April. Um, and, and so council members would be taking office much more quickly. We think the constituents will, will be less confused about who's who's my council member. Sure. Um, and it gets them involved in the budget process. Um, and the budget's typically voted on May or the first part of June. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. It's usually June. We have public hearings in May. And in April, we're pretty deep into the budget process. But, of course, ideally, council members or people running for council are, 
council are going to be paying attention to those things. Sure. And February and March when when it begins. Um, the other part of this was to move to three-year terms for council members. Um, I think there's a general feeling that, that your first year as a council member is the year you kind of learn how to do the job. And currently you have a two-year term. And so the second year you're already running for re-election. Right. And so the commission agreed that this should be moved to a three-year term. And so that's what's being recommended with the language here. Uh, you'll see again those funky timing uh, issues in the ballot language, and that's because we didn't want council members voting on something that impacted them. We can't impact current terms. Sure. The The last piece, I think, was the residency. Our charter language currently says you have to be a resident of Norman for six months prior to running, but it doesn't say you have to be a resident of the ward you're running for, and so that language change would, would require you now to be a resident of the ward you are running for six months prior to the election. Gotcha. Now, Proposition 3 pertains to clarifying the way that city council vacancies are filled and the serving commitment of those filling such vacancies. What can you tell us about Proposition 3? Proposition 3 is really kind of a cleanup item to make sure the language adequately matches our practice. Our practice when we've had vacancies come up on council is to fill that position for the remainder of the term. Um, and then, of course, with the election, and a new council member uh, would take the seat. So it's really just a cleanup to make sure that that's clear that that's our intention. Gotcha. Okay, and we'll go into four here. Now, this one uh, pertains to the creation of the position of a municipal auditor. Uh, now, many people, I think, uh, they they think of numbers or money when it comes to hearing audit, and the city does, in fact, have a financial audit that's carried out each year, and that's made available to the public online. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about this position and what might be expected or, or what we foresee um, their duties being? Sure. Um, so this position would be sort of a what an outside auditor might do, but they'll be working for the city. Uh, they'll report directly to council so they can audit uh, freely city departments and internal processes and then provide those reports to council. This is one that was discussed, I think, back, it was added to the initial resolution back in 2019, and council had, had talked about bringing it forward earlier, um, and then in just in May, they decided, let's go ahead and add this to the ballot now. So this language that you'll see for the city auditor mirrors the language for their other employee, the city manager. It would be someone that reports to council that could be hired, uh, will be hired by council and fired with or without cause at council's discretion. Got you. So a, a contract employee. Yes, okay. an at-will employee. And Proposition 5 um, is similar in that if this were to pass, the council would have another um, employee reporting to them. Um, so this one pertains to changing the hiring and managing authority of the city attorney from the city manager to the city council and details those associated procedures. So essentially, this would change the managing authority for you or whomever is serving as Norman City Attorney. Is that correct? Yes, that would make this position um, hireable and fireable by city council. Um, it would, again, be modeled after the city manager process and the city auditor process, if that is indeed adopted, and would change the position from a four-cause position, meaning uh, all of city employees that are managed by the city manager can only be fired or let go uh, for a a valid reason. Sure. Um, and it would change that to an at-will position. And that 
person would have to be appointed by a majority of councils, council and could be removed with a majority of council. So at this time, our current city charter uh, reads that there is only one employee of city council, and that is the city manager. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So Proposition 6 pertains to additions and new stipulations for board members of the Norman Regional Hospital Authority Board. Can you shed some light on how this board's connected to the city or why this type of question might appear on a ballot? Sure. A lot of people don't know this, but the Norman Regional Hospital Authority is a public trust, having the city as its sole beneficiary. Um, and that what that means is the city has to approve the issuance of debt by the hospital, and we also appoint their board. Uh, that provision for board appointment is contained in our charter, and this came from the request from the hospital to increase the number of board members from 9 to 11. Uh, they are growing, and with the closure of rural hospitals, they are providing services in other surrounding communities as well. And so they wanted to be able to have a couple of representatives that represent those other communities. The language is specific that we will continue with nine Norman residents on the board. Uh, these other two may be appointed from other communities that have a Norman Regional Hospital uh, facility. Gotcha. Okay, and it looks like we have a couple more here. So Proposition 7 pertains to amending the recall process and associated items for municipal officials. Why was there interest to get this on the ballot? Well, um, many people have probably heard we went through a recall process uh, within the last couple of years, several recall processes. Um, and it was really the first time to use this language, and it was the, certainly the first time we ever contemplating having more than one petition out there for, for more than one elected official. Uh, so it created some challenges, but within that, that process, and several other cities, I think, with the pandemic and all that came with it, were also going through recalls at the same time. Uh, so within our process... Enid had a case that went up to the Supreme Court challenging their process for uh, recall petitions. And this, the uh, state Supreme Court issued an opinion that said, no, 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 you, can, you shouldn't follow these charter provisions. You really need to follow some of the state provisions uh, for some of these aspects of the process. And it's a complicated process, but we're trying to clean up our language. So we're referencing state law where we need to. That sure. way, every time state law changes, the charter doesn't have to change. Uh, and, and just to make it a clearer process and to give us adequate time to review petitions, because that was a really big challenge. The other really interesting thing about this one is um, the city clerk and I's probably biggest nightmare through that whole process was what happens if we have uh, five council members recalled? At one point that was discussed. Right. Our charter requires five votes to get anything done. So how would we even fill a vacancy, call an sure. election to fill those spots? And so this cleans up some of that. You definitely as need well. some contingency planning right, there. Right, right. <laughs> we just it had, wasn't imagined when the charter was originally adopted, but um, it's good to have that provision in there just in case. Sure. All right. So Proposition Eight pertains to amending the process to set utility rates in Norman and the appointment of a utility rate commission. So, what is the history on this proposition? <laughs> <laughs> this I've been a part of several charter review commissions, and this has always been a question considered. Um, this is the first time that I can think of that we've actually taken something forward uh, as a proposal for the voters to weigh in on, though. Our charter was amended back in the 70s to require a vote of the citizenry before any utility rate 
increase could be adopted. Sure. This was done back then because uh, the council at that time raised utility rates to fund some general fund expenditures. Um, so people were angry about that and, and proposed this as a uh, referendum petition and or rather an initiative petition, and it was added to the charter. It's a challenge for the utility to keep up with costs, and every election costs money. Right. Um, you know, there's a large education component. No one wants to increase their rates. Um, you know, so it's always a challenge. And and the thought here, I think, was let's let's allow the city to impose a rate increase up to three percent, a reasonable, somewhat you know low amount. Uh, to allow us to at least keep up with the cost of, of increases in supplies and equipment and salaries and things like that. Um, and so that's what this proposal would do. It would still empower the voters to approve any rate increase over 3%, uh, but any rate increase under 3% could be approved by council only if a rate study had been conducted and it had been reviewed by an appointed utility rate commission, which would have... A, eight ward representatives and one at-large representative like council does. And it's my understanding that Norman is the only municipality in Oklahoma that kind of functions this way in that, um, you know, utility rates are um, set by a vote of the people and, you know, not the council. And so I think that that's really unique um, and that we're the only city that does it that way. Um, And these other utility companies, too, that we um, work alongside, um, do you think about gas, electric, that sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing. They may not have a city council, but they have a commission that they make recommendations to, what have you, and they say yay or nay. Um, So definitely hard, I think, to to keep up with the cost of doing business um, when you don't um, know for sure if you'll be able to to get those proper increases to pay for what needs to be paid for. Right. And one thing that's changed since the 70s is we do enterprise fund accounting for these. So the money from the utility funds do not go to the general fund other than to cover the cost of the staff for the utilities. They don't go to the general fund to cover police or fire or any other general fund requirement or expense. Uh, so we are very very careful. We account for all of those funds separately, and we make sure they go back into the utilities. And And that just wasn't around in the 70s, but that's sure. common practice now. And it may be worth noting, too, that we have the same number of staff in our utilities department that we did 10 years ago. So, Right. right. We are not <laughs> growing. <laughs> All right. Um, so our last proposition here is uh, Proposition 9. And if you could educate us a bit on this last one, it pertains to modifying deadline and processes for the reapportionment at reapportionment ad hoc committee and limits associated council action concerning the committee's recommendations. Sure. Um, This language that we currently have in our charter was adopted with a uh, charter review commission in the early, I want to say 2010s, 2012, 2013, somewhere around there. Um, And this was our first opportunity to test out the language. Um, COVID, of course, made it even more challenging because the census data did not come out when it typically would. Uh, But what we found was we were appointing the committee so far in advance of the release of the data that they were literally calling and saying, when do we meet? Right. And we didn't know because the, the, you know, COVID was even making that more delayed. Um, 
We also know that state law says that when we redraw our boundaries, and that's really what reapportionment is, is taking the new census data and redrawing the ward boundaries so that they're balanced in terms of population. Um, we know that state law says we should attempt to not split precincts when we go through that process, but our charter process was putting our timeline ahead of the county's process to redraw the precincts. So how can we say we're, we're trying our best not to split precincts when we're using old data? Right. Uh, so this is a cleanup item that fixes some of that. Uh, we did go through the reapportionment process this year, and, and council um, opted not to adopt any of the changes and instead appointed a new reapportionment commission that could look at the data after the new precinct data came out. Um, and that process is under ongoing right now. I think it will be coming forward to council here pretty soon. We had a public hearing last week or a couple weeks ago. Um, and... It was amazing with the new precinct data how much easier it was to redraw the ward boundaries, and the boundaries are cleaner looking. I'm sure um, it's a complicated process, and there's no no one right answer. So um, it's challenging, but it's important to get it right, and it's important that we look at all the data we can have access to, and that's really what this provision will help us do. Understood. All right, so we've covered the ins and outs for the next City of Norman election happening August 23rd. I'd also like to take this time to remind folks that you may be handed another ballot that day to decide on who heads to the general election for certain state or county offices. August 23rd is also the runoff for the primary election that was held on June 28th. The best way to see what's lined up for you to vote on and to check out your precinct location is to log on to the Oklahoma Voter Portal at okvoterportal.okelections.us. Anyone wishing to vote in August must be registered by July 29th, 2022. The Voter Portal should also have valuable information for those wishing to request an absentee ballot, change political affiliation, and more. This is a definite go-to when you've got an election coming up. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And like you said earlier, the, the uh, presentation on the website really provides a lot more detail. And we are always happy to take questions. If anyone has a question, they're welcome to give me a call. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. And we want to encourage everyone to head over to normanok.gov to see the latest city events, happenings, and initiatives. Kind reminder this month to conserve water in peak water demand season with temperatures blazing, practice odd even watering, and avoid outdoor irrigation any day between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Questions or commentary about On West Gray can be sent into public affairs at normanok.gov. Shouts to our producer and editor, Mr. Bryce Holland of the City of Norman Communications Office. Until next time, stay engaged, stay informed, and always remember to vote. I'm Tiffany Verska. Thank you for tuning in to On West Gray. <laughs>